Welcome back to the Talking Sportsbooks podcast. And coming up in this edition, Fleet Street stalwart and author Robert Beasley joins me to talk about his book, Jose Mourinho, up close and personal. Now, few, if any, had the access to Jose that Robert had over his time. And the result is a great book full of tales and anecdotes, and we will explore all of those. And that is coming up now. Just looking ahead, in the next edition of the podcast, in a couple of weeks' time, I'll be joined by ESPN's Scott Howard Cooper, who's just published his book on Steve Kerr. We'll be talking to him about the life of the basketball icon. And that is not all, the Great Pie Revolt. Uh, This is a culinary journey around every Premier League and EFL club in England to find out who offers the best food and where to go in the immediate vicinity of all of the grounds. It's a great book as well. Uh, That is all coming up. Now, don't forget, you can catch up with all of the previous editions of the podcast via the website at www.talkingsportsbooks.com or on any of the streaming providers. On to today's featured book then. It is Jose Mourinho, Up Close and Personal, with Robert Beasley. So there you are, day one at the press conference to unveil Jose Mourinho as Chelsea's new manager, and you've hatched a plan. Uh, Get front and centre, get recognised, and leave an impression. And it worked beautifully because you went on to forge a hugely successful relationship, both personal and professional, which was the envy, really, of Fleet Street. Well, it was a spontaneous thing because the the whole press conference, the one where he famously said, I, I'm not one out of the bottle, I am a special one. He didn't say the special one, he said a special one. It was, it was a car crash. Chelsea had tried to do it in the press room and we'd got international journalists from all around the, uh, the world coming to it. There was no room. It was chucking it down with rain outside and it, it was a complete car crash on, of Chelsea's making. They should have done it in, in a much bigger room. So I was sitting there and I was I was quite annoyed. And then I thought, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to use this sort of um, anger to sort of go and confront the head of communication, Simon Greenberg, uh, and berate him for the poor organisation. And I'll do it while Jose's there. And he'll either think he'll either think I'm a complete idiot or he'll think, oh, well, this bloke's a bit sparky or something. But it will leave an impression. So I just went. As soon as I had the idea, I went and executed it and had my little rant. And then the Sunday newspapers, I was on the News of the World at the time, the Sunday newspapers got um, a little after-the-event press conference with him in the changing rooms, uh, which, you know, I asked quite a few questions, had a chat with him, and then at the end I told him I was a Chelsea fan. And I think from then on I'd sort of um, made that impression on his psyche that um, he remembered my face, I think he remembered I was a Chelsea fan. And I just played on that to to sort of keep being the one, uh, as you say, centre of the press conference, asking a lot of questions, putting him on the spot on certain things, having a bit of a laugh with him and... Uh, and we developed a good professional relationship in the first instance, which became like a, um, uh, a really good off, um, away from work uh, relationship as well, uh, where we were swapping stories about our families. He was really good to my family and, and, and we got on like a house on fire. We were quite similar people, a bit spiky, a bit sparky, a bit, um, a bit crazy at times. So uh, we, were, we were of a similar ilk. 
described Ray as, as a journalist, dream, and I think he was engageable, uh, approachable, funny, interested in you later, uh, later on, interested in your family and what you're doing. And as, as you as a fan, you, you couldn't even in your wildest of dreams have predicted what was going to happen at the end of that first season. 95 points, 25 wins, 25 clean sheets and 15 goals against. I mean, what a season, a first year that was. It, it, absolutely unbelievable. And in the context of it, um, I started as off as a Chelsea fan at the 1967 FA Cup final when we lost to some uh, shabby team from <laughs> North London uh, called Tottingham Hotspur or something. Uh, and I, I was only... A, the year before, England had won the World Cup. So I went football crazy on the back of that as, as, as the nation went football mad. Uh, and the next big game back in those days was the the Cup final the following summer. And it was Chelsea versus Tottenham. We went up the wreck in the morning and played it out. And I was on the Chelsea team and we won 10-9 or something like that. And I went back and I told my dad as a seven-year-old, Chelsea are going to win this. We've just played it up the wreck. It's Chelsea, Chelsea all the way. And we were abysmal on the day. I think we were 2-0 down uh, and then got a late consolation goal. But for some reason, instead of being a glory hunter... Oh, no, you can't say that about Tottenham, can you? Um, I'll, I'll take that back. You're not a glory hunter, as you know, supporting Tottenham. Um, but I, I could have gone with the winners and said, oh, they've, they've won, I'll follow them. But for some reason, I stuck with Chelsea and the Royal Blues. And um, for years, we were a yo-yo club. We were up and down. There were, there were highs of winning the FA Cup in the 70s, 1970, and then the European Cup Winners' Cup. And, there, there was, and then we went bust, basically. And then Ken Bates took over and had all those controversial years. So I was a, a sort of a fan who thought, I'll never see Chelsea win the league. I'll never see Chelsea win the, the European Cup or anything like that. If we can be mid-table mediocrity, that's, that's, that's great. And it's just a crack of going to matches and supporting your team and knowing that Chelsea on their day will beat Manchester United 2-0 or 3-0 and then go and lose the next three games to teams like Burnley, Leicester and um, <laughs> I don't know, Mansfield. So that, that was the joy of being a Chelsea fan back then. So when this, this guy came along, and of course there'd been progress. Chelsea had started to progress. Managers like Viali and, and Rude Hullet and Glenn Hoddle had, had, had taken it on a place that they'd started to sign stellar players like Gianfranco Zola, Mark Hughes and things like that. So there had been a progression, but even so, you never expected Chelsea to suddenly hit the heights. And then Jose came in and he seemed to, he was like an overnight sensation um, suddenly the belief within the squad was yes we can do this and and that first season was absolutely astonishing uh, and you, you sat there and wondered you looked at the players uh, Joe Cole Damien Duff and people like that all attacking and going for it and, and the defensive uh, uh, setup as well with John Terry at the heart and then Frank Lampard in front it was just the spine of the team was amazing the, the whole thing was amazing and there was a buzz about the place Jose was box office back then people were you know were, he was like everybody was talking about him and being a breath of fresh air in the Premier League and he, he worked his mind games I think now maybe it's working off a little bit people have sussed him out a bit as the way he plays and also his tricks and his mind games that they're not quite as effective but he was so fresh and so new it certainly worked on the players and it probably worked on uh, a lot of uh, opposition players and opposition managers I remember particularly 
uh, before any Liverpool game. Jose used to sort of drool about Steven Gerrard and say well, how brilliant player he was, how he'd love to sign him. He's one of the great players in the world and all that. And every time Chelsea played Liverpool, Stevie Gerrard had a nightmare. He had one of those. He, <laughs> he just never played well against Chelsea. It was as if uh, he, he couldn't do it to Jose after all that praise. It was really hilarious to watch. Well, you had that moment in the, uh, the, the League Cup, didn't you? Wearing his emotions very visibly on his sleeves, uh, yeah. sending the yeah. message out to the stand, the, the shh to the Liverpool yeah. uh, supporters. Yeah. Everybody is looking in, even if you weren't a Chelsea fan. You knew who he was and you knew if it was a bit of a dull day with your club, you could always go and see what was going on down there. You had that situation with the, uh, the Champions League, with the... Uh, UEFA overreaction, really, to the uh, Anders Frisk comments about uh, meeting Reichardt yeah, in yeah. the uh, dressing room at halftime. Uh, and then the laundry basket incident, Rui Farrier <laughs> wearing the earpiece, being spotted in the stands in, in Munich. I mean, you just couldn't make this up. It was, it was like a spy novel at the time. It was, it was so uh, subversive. They were trying to do... And that was Jose. He would try any trick in the book to... to um, to make Chelsea win and to, to make his team win. So that, he wanted to be there, obviously. Massive match. And, um, yeah, the smuggling into the dressing room, all, all the machinations about it. You sort of knew something was going on, but you didn't know what it was. And we all found out after the event. And, of course, everybody's laughing their heads off at the time. But, you know, the amount of planning that must have taken and sort of the, the uh, subterfuge to sort of trick his way in into in, in one of the kit bags uh, in uh, kit to uh, trolley bag he's just unbelievable but that's that is the length that Jose will go to to uh, to have an impact and to make sure he's in the right place at the right time to have the right effect not not all the headline events were on the field uh, January 20, 2005 the call that started that story with the Ashley Cole move they were all going to be meeting somewhere in London you yeah. didn't know where it yeah. was, but it was going to be a hotel. I loved your suggestion to the news of the world at the time. Well, look, all I've got to do is get on the back of one of them. We know where they all live and follow him. And, and they yeah. recoiled. I know. Because, <laughs> I mean, I, I worked on sport, OK? So you were talking most of the time about 30-yard thunderbolts and hamstring strains and... Uh, so-and-so want this player and this team want to sell this player. So it, it, you were far removed from the, the news team and you wanted to keep it that way because you were never quite sure what the news, the news team might get up to. Uh, and they would never tell you anyway. But you, you knew that some of the lengths that they went to were a bit questionable. So when I said, listen, we, we, we know the time of the meeting. We know it's in London. Or, we, you know, what, what, there's no law against following somebody down the street or, 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 or getting a, a moped and, and following their car. Um, let's just follow one of them. And wherever he goes, that's where the meeting is. And, and we'll catch him in the in the act. But they're sort of like, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. We can't do that. And I thought, well, blimey, really. I've heard whispers that you've done far worse than that uh, and has subsequently been proved. But I, just, and I, I was so frustrated because we were all, I thought, this is a great story. If we can catch him in the act, um, brilliant. But no, um, and, and then in the end, it, it was a stroke of luck. Some guy who was a businessman had booked the same room, 
the meeting with Chelsea and Joe um, and uh, Ashley Cole overran. So this guy's huffing and puffing and stomping around outside, moaning to the hotel manager, saying, "I've booked this room for three o'clock, and why want to get in there? I've got an important business meeting." Da 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 da. And of course, because it's Chelsea and uh, Ashley Cole and Jose and all that, the hotel manager's sort of saying, "Well, I'm sorry, you're just going to have to wait. You're just going to have to wait. We're not going to upset Chelsea." Uh, and then eventually. Uh, they all emerge, and this guy's <laughs> actually a Chelsea fan. So he's about to go over and berate the people who have, who have overstayed their welcome in the room and sees that it's Jose Mourinho, there's Ashley Cole, there's uh, Peter Kenyon, and uh, there was, I think it was Peeny Zahavi, and one of the agent, uh, uh, agents in there it wasn't Peeny. It was. Um, oh, Jonathan Barnett, wasn't it? It was Jonathan Barnett, of course, yeah. And um, he sort of bit his tongue. Uh, but being a businessman, he realised that that was uh, quite a useful piece of information. So he rang the Sun first, and uh, whoever answered the phone on the Sun was not over-impressed with this guy's information. Um, so uh, sort of fobbed him off and said, oh, OK, we'll perhaps get somebody to ring you back later, and we'll, da, 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 we'll check it out, and didn't go any further. But, so the guy just thought he was getting the brush off, so he rang the News of the World. Now, of course, we'd been working on this story for a week, so as soon as he told somebody on the News of the World sports desk that he'd just seen Jose Mourinho with Ashley Cole, we went, oh, yes, thank you. This is the confirmation we've been working for all week. Thank you. Get, get yourself in a cab, get yourself down here, uh, and tell us all about it. Because the lawyer said he needs to sign an affidavit. And then we had to get him to uh, swear on the Bible. But of course... <laughs> this is brilliant. In the News of the I World suppose. offices, you've got a Bible in there. <laughs> no, we had not surprisingly, there was no Bible in the news of the world office. We had to go and borrow one off the Times. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, and he swore on the Bible and he did his affidavit and, and the rest is history. You know, it, it came out, it was all proven. They tried to deny it at first, but you can't. You know, you, you, they, they couldn't. There's too many facts there. Uh, and as soon as we know, we knew which hotel it was, we, we sent reporters down as well to talk to the bar staff and, and talk to people and uh, they sort of confirmed it not realising they were talking to news of the world news journalists, you know. You, so, you got uh, the... Where did it bang to rights? You got the award, didn't you, for this, for the, the scoop of the year? Do they still do scoop of the yeah. year? I, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it was Sports Story of the Year voted for by your peers, so that was quite nice. But it, the, the, the one that was, I was um, quite... I don't know whether it's it's more important. It seemed more important to me was that yes, I've got the sports story of the year two thousand and five, but I also got the news of the best story in the news of the world that year, which is an internal award from the the newspaper. And you sit down and you think, well, the news of the world was the biggest selling newspaper in the world at the time, and some of the stories they they break. Uh, a massive, uh, much bigger than sports stories, a lot of them. So for me to get the best story in the news of the world that year, that award, I thought, yeah, that's special. Because it's not just sport. It's sport, it's news, it's features, it's showbiz and all that sort of thing. My story was the best story in the best-selling newspaper in the world in 2005. So uh, I'm really quite proud of that award as well. Uh, the uh, the first summer tour you did with him uh, over into the uh, the States was the, the first time you saw him speechless, wasn't it? Beverly Hills Hotel, there was a, a bit uh, of a star rolled through the lobby. It's my it's my favourite story. It's my favourite <laughs> chapter in the book. And you shouldn't have a bit because it's just, it's just spectacular. I mean, there we are. I mean, this is Chelsea. This is uh, Los Angeles. And so you, you, you're sitting there and you're looking around and there's superstars everywhere. And I'm sitting in an armchair in the in the Beverly Hills Hotel, which is, of course, where Chelsea was staying because they they they, um, they could afford to and they were the they, they, 
they, they, they were the kings of um, English football at the time. And um, yeah, they wanted to swagger around Los Angeles. Nobody recognised anybody. The, the footballers are completely, pretty much anonymous over there because this is Hollywood and it's showbiz, it, it's film. Uh, it's not, they, they wouldn't recognise Jose Mourinho if you walked down the street or Frank Lampard or John Terry. But we were all in there. We were preparing to go down to UCLA University where they were training. So you've got to imagine the scene. There's Jose and all his coaching staff. There's all the players. And of course, on a pre-season tour, they don't just take the first 26 players. They've got a squad of about 30, 35 players out there. They've got all the medics. They've got all the hangers-on, all the gophers, the kit men and whatever. So there's probably about 40, 45 of us in reception of the Beverly Hills Hotel. And you can imagine what 45 football uh, players and, and staff are like. The noise, the banter, the shouting. And I'm sitting in an armchair and Jose's sitting on the arm of it. And we're, we're talking about his holiday to Brazil and how it rained virtually every day, biblical proportions. And then the, the, uh, the main, through the main entrance walks uh, Jennifer Aniston of Friends fame. And suddenly 45, 50 grown men who were in full flow just stopped. Everything, you could have heard a pin drop. It went from being a crescendo of noise and banter and shouting to absolute silence. And everybody was like a zombie. All the chins hit the floor. Everybody's eyes were out on stalks and they're going, oh my goodness gracious me, that's Jennifer Aniston. You think everybody, I'm sure everybody was thinking the same. Oh my word, it's Jennifer Aniston. And as she, she came in, she turned right to go towards the polo lounge and she's walking across there. She's got a vest top on, a pair of um, to-the-knee jeans and flip-flops, a hair in, a, in, a, in just a ponytail, no makeup or anything. But we're all thinking the same. It's Jennifer Aniston. Oh, my word. She's even more gorgeous in real life than she's on the TV. Not a word was said until she disappeared down the corridor. She did stop briefly to look across and see all these guys just standing there, helpless, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she smiled and then turned back and carried on. And she disappeared down there and, and, and Jose went, oh my God, he said, Brad Pitt, what an idiot. And of course, it's what we were all thinking. They just split up and you're thinking, Brad Pitt, you are an idiot. You've just fallen out with Jennifer Aniston, the most beautiful woman we've ever seen. And of course, as soon as Jose said that, the, the 50 guys in there just roared with laughter because he just nailed it. It's, as so often he did, he absolutely nailed what everybody was thinking. He, he articulated it and everybody just cracked up. Did you actually find out whether you did see Demi Moore and Sarah Jessica Parker in that in, in Moonshadow's restaurant? <laughs> We, we, I tell you what. What a great restaurant, by the way. <laughs> I was looking it at is, the menu <laughs> last night. <laughs> well, well, we were sitting, uh, me and Paul Smith from the Sunday Mirror, we were sitting and it's sort of, there's a there's a, like a cantilever part that goes out over the beach. And you, as the, the tide comes in in the evening, you're sitting there eating your fresh fish and the, the waves lap beneath you. Uh, it's, it's just a, a fantastic place. And we looked across and there were these two, ringers for Jessica Parker and Demi Moore. And we're going, it can't be, it can't, it, is it? It can't, is it? Is it? And of course, you journalists, you sort of think, well, let's go and ask. So we, we uh, they, were, they were drinking tea as well. We were drinking cocktails and they were drinking tea. So we went across to say, oh, hello. And clearly it became, they were, they were lookalikes who made their living from being lookalikes. Um, but they were fantastic fun. And we did get a lift home in the Mercedes back to the, the hotel, but it was all good, clean fun. <laughs> but it would have been the sort of 
a scenario that Jose would have loved. Uh, he would have, um, can you imagine if it had been them too? God dear me, it would have been unbelievable. But that was the sort of thing that when you're in Tinseltown, everywhere you go, I mean, Chelsea would have a party and there'd be Snoop Dogg there, Jason Statham and all these sort of people walking. And you're, you're sitting there with John Terry and, and talking and Snoop Dogg walks past. Jason Statham's having a row with somebody in the corner and you're looking around going everywhere there's a star on, on, on every street corner. Lots of stars turned up to watch them train and things like that. So to be in a, suddenly in a restaurant and thinking across there is Jessica Parker and um, Demi Moore, it's not beyond the bounds of possibility because you're thinking, well, well, last night I was with, well, I wasn't with them, but I was in the company of Snoop Dogg and uh, Jason Statham and, and various, oh, um, Matthew McConaughey. Uh, and, and now there's Demi Moore and Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah, this is Hollywood. It's fantastic. Let's go and, let's go and have a cup of tea with them. But, you know, it, 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 it's a, it's a, it was a, a surreal world from the, from the days of watching Chelsea at Huddersfield and, and Barnsley and everything to suddenly be in Tinseltown sort of rubbing shoulders with some of the, the most famous people in the world of um, movies you know, and music was, was just... Um... Shevchenko and Balak. Uh, big questions here about whether or not they were Jose's signings or not. I mean, you make the comment about the fact that they were different to any other players that he would normally sign. They weren't young. Uh, they weren't young and, and hungry, and he didn't know them. Yeah, is it? I mean, Jose um, couldn't have an effect on players. Like, if you speak to Frank Lampard, Frank Lampard will say about the time he came out of the shower and Jose started up to him and said, you, you, you're the best midfielder in the world. And even Frank didn't believe that. But the fact that Jose planted that in his mind had a massive effect on it. So Jose was brilliant at, at moulding players and giving them belief in themselves and taking them to another level. When you've got somebody like Shevchenko coming, who's a, as a superstar already, um, both internationally and in Italy, uh, and then you've got Balak, who was, I think he was the captain of Germany, wasn't he? And he, he was coming from Bayern, the, the mighty Bayern Munich. Jose's not going to have the same sort of of impact on a, on a play like that and and it was on that tour Shevchenko you could see he was very shy very reserved he wasn't in, in with all the lads he, he, you'd catch him playing snooker now and again but he was he was always the peripheral one always the quiet one he was always in the sitting in the corner he wasn't in the heart of things and Balak was like strolling around just with his sort of um, it's easy to say arrogance, but it's like ultra confidence. He, he, he was a, a very imposing figure with a fantastic sense of humour. And you could see the players straight away looking at him thinking, this guy's, this guy's the business. Because he, he just exuded that, like, I am a superstar and I'm here. Everything he did. and every, But alongside that, he had the sense of humour and the style and the charisma to make himself part of the group, whereas Shevchenko never had that. So you're looking at Shev and thinking, hmm, oh, I'm not sure. Um, so I'd got my doubts about the both of them, um, but Balak was, was, was much more into it. And he, and he sort of really developed that sort of Mourinho mentality, the Chelsea mentality that had been developed by Jose, that this is us, we are who we are, and this is the way we're going to do things. And he had that swagger to carry it off and to carry people with him. So Balak was a great uh, addition. But it was like Sheva had come and he'd missed that penalty in the shootout against uh, Liverpool. And it was as if that had sort of destroyed all his inner confidence. Um, and so we were signing him, Abramovich, 
definitely wanted to sign him. I'm not sure Jose would have taken him. Um, it was a, it was one of those signings that um, was fueled by the owner rather than the manager. Mm. Uh, we'd missed out on him the year before, and then when we did get him, he just missed that that fatal well not fatal that that penalty. Um, and I, I just think he never recovered from that. And then coming to Chelsea, a different culture. A, 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 he never quite fitted in. I saw him, I think he scored in the uh, Community Shield uh, in his first game. And you thought, that's it, he's off to a flyer, he's going to be brilliant. And then it was just um, miss after miss and disappointment after disappointment. And it was as if Jose persisted with him. And it was as if Jose was playing him. I, I, I got this feeling that he was playing him to make a point. You foisted this player upon me, and I'm going to play him, and you're going to see what a bad signing he was. Did, it was didn't help that Drogba was scoring 33 goals that season, did it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it? So the comparison was compelling. You see, you, you've got a young, hungry uh, centre forward who's come in, try, uh, who's taken a step up and was about to make him, himself a legend of the club, and you'd got a legend from outside coming in who became almost a laughing stock at the club so the the the, uh, the comparison was i can tell from the way that you, you you're writing the book you're beginning to see the de the beginnings of the deterioration in the relationship between jose Mourinho and roman abramovich abramovich believing the success is down yeah. to his uh, generosity uh, jose believing the success obviously is down to yeah. his vision and his coaching yeah yeah and, it's, and, and the truth of it is, it's a combination of the two, isn't it? Um, without the uh, investment of Abramovich, Chelsea would not be where they are today. Um, without the brilliance of Jose, Chelsea probably wouldn't be where they are. Because winning back-to-back -back, uh, league titles in his first two seasons, that catapulted Chelsea into a different stratosphere. Um, and he, he also instilled... Um, something into the players, that, that self-belief that, that they could go on and do it. And even after Josie had gone, that continued. And you could argue that the, 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 the team that got to the 2008 um, Champions League final after Josie had gone was Jose's team. And you can't help but think if Josie had been in charge, maybe they'd won it. Um, but hey, um, we've won it twice. You put Avram Grant in. Which obviously signalled the the end was coming. What did he think? What did Jose think the moment that he arrived? I mean, you obviously knew him yeah. both on and off the pitch. What were his feelings? Did he think that this was it? He was finished. Well, I, I'm, I'm not. He was. He obviously he was put out. There's no doubt that he was put out. That this 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 guy had been brought in and, and given this senior role, which was basically overseeing Jose and having a having a. Uh, uh, an input into uh, team affairs and feeding back to the to the board. Uh, so Jose hates all any sort of interference in what he does and how he does it. So he wouldn't have liked that. But they, they also, and I'm not just saying this was Jose, but there, there was also um, the feeling that he was a bit of a figure of fun because he, you know, he he'd, uh, <laughs> apparently I was told uh, he, he'd nod off on occasions and. Um, uh, wasn't uh, wasn't um, functioning as well as he should have done, shall we say? Um, and it's hearsay and everything, but um, I heard it from two or three different sources that uh, there were some comical situations involved, which wouldn't have helped because Jose is a workaholic. He's attention to detail. He, he wants to be in charge of everything. So to see somebody being given that sort of position who maybe wasn't able to. Um, 
performing the, the same with that same intensity uh, over the same sort of period during the day um, would have knocked him as well. But he cracked on. But we all knew that, that there was something going on, and that that there'd been this. Um, friction for a while which we, we thought had been put to bed but of course no it, it never had and um, and the, the thing with jose is that he he won't back down and when it gets to the point and um, where he thinks it's being compromised uh, too much then there'll be, there'll be that point where they, they have a discussion and he'll go it's it's my way or the highway and normally it's the highway isn't it because uh, when you go up against the the likes of as he did with Tottenham later Daniel Levy or Roman Abramovich there's only going to be one winner and it's sometimes Josie can't help himself if he played along a little bit um, he might last a little bit longer but that's not in his in his DNA his DNA is I'm Jose Mourinho I am a special one look at my he, he had a point though didn't he I mean, 21 games only defeated in 185, won 124 of them. But again, another one of your great lines uh, after he called it the most hurtful experience of his life. Do I blame myself? No, I'm Jose Mourinho. <laughs> well, he has this utter belief in himself. Uh, and what I tell you what does annoy him, that people talk about him being a negative coach. Um, and he seems to have developed this... Um, reputation but he'll always point to the stats he said in England in that first season in England, he, he set all sorts of records goal scores point scores away wins uh, clean sheets everything he set new records as Pep Guardiola has gone on to beat them but it, the British football has been around for all this time and he's setting new records so he did that in England he did he went to Italy he won the treble for the first time in the history of Italian football again he was scoring goals and, and, and breaking records he went to Real Madrid and in the his second season at Real Madrid, he set new records in Spanish football, topping even what Guardiola had done with Barcelona before, including for goals scored. So he says, how am I a defensive manager when we score all these goals? And I've got records for scoring goals in, in three different countries. It's crazy. Um, but he is, a, he, he is a master at letting teams attack and then hitting him on the break. I remember the, the famous game at uh, Stamford Bridge against Barcelona. Um, at the time, they were they were sort of being talked about as one of the best teams of all club teams of all time, and Chelsea beat them four two. They were three 0 up in in um, twenty minutes, and you were watching Joe Cole and and Damien Duff streaking forward and and Frank Lampard breaking counter attacking, and it was thrilling, exhilarating football. Barcelona came and went for it as they did, and as soon as they lost, Chelsea lost the ball. Uh, they lost the ball to the the likes of uh, John Terry and Gallas and that. Chelsea were on the counter-attack so quick that Real Madrid couldn't cope. And it was one of those unbelievable end-to-end -end games of football. Suddenly you get a text, I can't remember if it was a text or a call, uh, from Jose that said, um, are England interested in me? Uh, uh, if so, I'll take it if it's offered. I mean, did, did you think it was a wind-up? No, it was actually, I was sitting at the farewell press conference of Steve McLaren, the Wally with the Brolly. <laughs> And he was doing a press conference, I think it was at Sopwell House in, near St Albans. And he was sitting there and, and taking it on the chin saying, you know, I think I, this job came too soon for me. I fell a, a little bit short and all this like that. And it's, you always get annoyed when somebody's forgotten to t turn their phone off in a press conference and if the phone starts ringing or it goes off or something and you, you get the, the daggers. 
Well, my phone, I'd forgotten to put my phone on silence and suddenly it went, dip, 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 you know, with text coming through. So I went, oh, blimey, phone. So I went to turn it on to silent and I looked and it said JM, which was Jose Mourinho. So I thought, well, what's this then? So I, I clicked the, um, the button and it's Jose saying, is the England job interested in me? And I went, oh my gosh. I said, well, funnily enough, I'm at England now. Do you want me to go and ask? And he went, yeah. So... <laughs> I lost all interest in covering the Steve McLaren farewell uh, uh, press conference. That that wasn't the story for me anymore. And I went straight off to find Adrian Bevington, who was the head of communications for the FA, and then Brian Barwick, who was the chief executive, and said, look, I've just had this uh, email from Jose Mourinho saying, are you interested in him as the next England manager? And they went, oh, yeah, 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 of course we are. So I said, can I text him to say that, that you're interested in pass on your deal? Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, I got back, yes, they're interested in but amazingly, nothing was done for about 10 days or something like that. And then Jose texted me again saying, I've not heard anything, I've not heard anything. And it just coincided with flying out to, I think the World Cup was in South Africa and it was something like the draw. And we were all flying out and I happened to be on the same plane as Dave Richards, the president of the Premier League, and also Brian Barwick. So we bumped into him, um, just settling into our seats for the flight. And I said... I've just had an email from Jose saying that you've not been in touch. Are you interested in him or not? And they went, yeah, 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 but we've had a lot to deal with. We were coming out here and all that sort of thing. So anyway, as they got back, they had the secret meetings and, and to all intents and purposes, the FA thought he was taking the job. Uh, I'd written a story uh, on the Friday night. Jose, um, New England manager, Jose Mourinho, and a big interview inside about him saying... I couldn't resist the job. The England fans want me. The FA want me. I love English football. I can make England winners. Da -de -da -de -da. And I wrote it all and I sent it off. And of course, the sports editor and the editor are delighted. This is fantastic. We're really going to set the agenda tomorrow. We've not only got the scoop story, we've got the first interview with him. Oh, brilliant. And then I'm driving down the M40 to uh, Chelsea to cover a, a, a match. And just as I get to Oxford Services, it's that ping, 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 ping again on the phone. And I went, who's that? So I pulled into the services to see who it was, because you never know who it is. And on a Saturday, that's big day for a Sunday journalist. Uh, and I looked and it said, um, it was Jose saying, don't go so far with that England story. I might be taking a club job instead. And I went, oh, no. My big back page lead story, my big... England feature on the inside, why, he, why I can't say no to England, it looks a bit stupid now. So I texted him and said, well, what's happening? And he wouldn't tell me where he was going, he was clearly into Milan, he'd, he'd been in touch. Uh, and he says, no, I can't tell you, but just, just say that the day-to-day -day interest of being in club football, I would miss it too much, not having a match for three months and, and just going and doing a scouting mission. I need that day-to-day -day, uh, involvement with the team, it's a top team in a top country with that. With, with, uh, and so I, I had to make that phone call to the sports editor and said, uh, you know that headline we've got, Jose says yes to England. He said, yeah, yeah. I said, can we tweak it a bit? He says, what, what do you mean? I says, can we make it Jose <laughs> says no to England? <laughs> and he says, why, what's happened, what's happened? I says, he's going to take a club job uh, and he's not going to take the England job after all. Well... Uh, the first reaction was like my first reaction. Oh, no, we, we've lost a great story here. Um, but we, we turned it around and we said uh, on the back page, Jose says no, uh, 24 hours change of heart and all that. On the Friday, he said this. On the Saturday morning, he's saying that. So we made something out of it. And the beauty of it was 
it was still a massive exclusive because the FA had been briefing all the other Sunday newspapers. So all the other Sunday newspapers came out, Jose for England, <laughs> on their back pages, and we'd got the exclusive where we'd turned it down. So it worked out well in the end. But, oh, my word, when I got that text. First of all, I was crestfallen personally because I was thinking if he was the England manager, what a time I'd have as a journalist working alongside him. All the scoops on England and, and going off to championships and Europe, European championships and World Cups with Jose in charge I thought I'll be filling my boots I'll be getting scoop after scoop so I was crestfallen that the story had fallen down I was crestfallen he wasn't taking the job um, but as it worked out on the Sunday morning when I saw everybody else had got Jose yes and we got Jose no I was I was feeling quite your, your relationship all. with him remained as well through all of these these travels over to Italy you, you were able to see him on on many occasions over there the scene of his greatest achievement uh, the Champions League, the first win in the Champions League since the 60s with uh, Helenia Herrera, first ever Italian treble, uh, the goals again. And he did it with this team of very, very mature players. Matarazzi, Cordoba, Zanetti, Samuel, uh, Wesley Snyder was one of the youngest ones, uh, Milito as well. I think Zanetti, the captain, was something like 37 at the time. So... Um... Yeah, it, it was a team that he drilled. I watched them and I used to marvel it because it was Zanetti and Cambiasso who, who were the two uh, who, who played in front of the, the back four, just protecting it. And they just moved across. It was when you were up in the stands and you just watched it, it was a work of art. The, 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 not through Jose necessarily. It's obviously clearly he put them two together. But the two of them, they got it off to a, 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 the fine art. And, and you, it's surprising now how every team is, is seems to want and to, to think, call it two number sixes these days, aren't they? Just sitting in front. Uh, and um, Jose was doing that, you know, five or six years ago, however long it was when he was into the land. And it worked magnificently because they just protected everything and gave Snyder and the guy, and Alito had a fantastic season scoring goals. Uh, and they, they were scoring goals at one end and they were very frugal at the other end. And, and, and yeah, it was fun to watch. But of course, Jose, he was, he, won, he was there two years and won the league both times. But he can't help himself. He has to have a bit of uh, friction. <laughs> so he was falling out with referees and he was calling out Carlo Ancelotti and calling him names and stuff like that. He was picking fights with everybody. Uh, and of course, um, in Italy, they're, a little, they're even more mad in the press than the, the, the red top tabloids in, in England. So there, there were headlines aplenty and drama aplenty, controversy aplenty. The press started falling out with him and he'd fall out with the press. And there was one famous occasion I was over there and he just completely walked, he walked through the press zone where he's supposed to stop and talk to, to people and he just completely blanked them. I was uh, uh, standing there, not expecting to, you know, just to say hello. And he called me out from the press corps and stood in front of uh, me in front of everybody and just had this private conversation with me in front of these howling Italian journalists going, What's and they were, oh, it was just unbelievable. And, I'm to, and, the, and the press officer came along and said, Jose, can you take this around the corner? Can you? He said, no, I'm doing it here. <laughs> this, <laughs> this was after he had a pile of grief wasn't it, a in point. the paper. And, and they just, they lost a game yeah, against yeah. Sampdoria that they should have won and he'd done the handcuffs thing. Yeah, he did, yeah. Uh, he, but that's that's what he was like. He was always making a point. He was he was always up for a confrontation, and and he was, and sometimes you you were used to to do that. You know, he was 
He was box office on one level, but he was he, he definitely mischievous, if not Machiavellian on occasions, where he, he would take it to the nth degree to uh, make his point. And... Plenty of prominent names and coaches in the game becoming very vocal in their criticism of Jose. We knew about Wenger, of course. Johan Cruyff, never a fan. Cares only about the result, he said. Negative. Morton Olsen, though, perhaps the most stinging of rebukes. He said, an enemy, a danger to football. Enemy of football, yeah. And I think it was like, um, guess what? Um, that's, that's quite harsh. I, I, I know what they're trying to say. They're trying to make out that he's anti-football um, because of his supposedly negative ways and his... his um, mass defending and then quick counter-attacking and and i mean my attitude is that there's an art to scoring goals and there's an art to stopping goals and defending and and to be brilliant in the art of defending shouldn't be a, a cause for criticism it should be admired and and i think on a lot of occasions it is when i think later in his career when i think he was with uh, tottenham and he went uh, and they played Man City and everybody called it a Mourinho masterclass again because he, he, he beat City and he beat City easy and they, they, they did what Barcelona had done at Stamford Bridge against Chelsea. They'd piled forward trying to score a load of goals and come up against one of the best drilled defences uh, who weren't letting them through. And of course, the more they threw people forward trying to score the goals, the more they left themselves open at the back. And Mourinho's um, walking away going, work to treat again. It was mm. like the old rope-a-dope. Mohamed Ali in his later days, he couldn't go toe-to-toe -to -toe anymore, so he'd go on the ropes, let people punch them out, themselves uh, out, and then he'd um, reclaim the, the, the world heavyweight title for the third, third time and shock and awe all around the world. Um, there's all different ways to win a football match. And um, I'm sure... Um, well, having seen Jose at close quarters, yes, there is um, an emphasis on the defensive structure. Of course there is. Um, but he also had turned Frank Lampard into one of the greatest midfielders in the world, goal-scoring midfielders in the world. You can remember the guy who scored the two goals up at Bolton to win Chelsea the league the first time was Frank Lampard breaking from midfield and going through. And he was scoring around 20 goals a season, you know, all through his Chelsea career after that. Um, so I think it's um, I think it's grossly unfair to say that Jose is just a defensive manager. He is a brilliant defensive manager, sure he is, yeah. But he's he's also got this ability to get the best out of uh, other players. You mentioned Didier Drogba earlier. He he, he sort of terrorised teams. You know, Manchester United. His record against Manchester United even better against Arsenal. You know, he he was just like that swashbuckling striker. He was he could score goals left foot, right foot, headers. And, and no more famous header than the one uh, to win the Champions League for Chelsea um, in Munich against Bayern Munich. So, yeah, Jose, well, he, he, I think he gets a bad press for being negative all the time, parking the bus. I'm not, I'm not sure that's true. In fact, the other night, it was, it was quite uh, funny. I watched the... Um, we spoke about Steven Gerrard against Chelsea earlier. It was, it was when Brendan Rodgers was in charge and they were pushing for the league title and Chelsea went up to Anfield and won 2-0. First of all, Steve Gerrard fell over and Denver Bar went through. And then, of course, Liverpool were throwing the kitchen sink at Chelsea and Chelsea were defending like they did you know, brilliantly. 
uh, and then suddenly <laughs> you see you see Willian and uh, Fernando Torres, ex of Liverpool, running down the pitch completely <laughs> unopposed with only the goalkeeper to beat because Liverpool had thrown so so much forward trying to rescue the game or at least rescue a point that um, they'd played straight into, Joe, uh, into Chelsea's hands and uh, off they went and Chelsea scored too. So that that's that was the style. And I think Brendan Rodgers said afterwards um, they parked two buses today. Uh, and that was his abiding memory of the match that Chelsea had parked two buses and been uh, and, and stopped his team doing what they wanted to do. He, he, he'd forgotten the two goals that Chelsea scored away from home at Anfield against a team that um, had um, steamrolled everybody before on for the last, I think it was a 13 match, 14 match un, unbeaten run. I, mean, I look at it, brilliant. Liverpool did what they always try and do, is steamroll it at that time, steamroll the team to go and score all the goals. They couldn't do it against Chelsea, and Chelsea hit them on the break and, and uh, sucker punched them. So, you know, it depends which side of the fence you're sitting on. If you're a Chelsea fan, you think it's magnificent. If you're a Liverpool fan, <laughs> you think the, it's uh, The time at Madrid, again, you, you, you're still talking. Uh, I've got everything except team spirit. This was the, the end of his, his time there. And then he's, yeah. but he, yeah. he, I mean, he's letting you know where he is in London so the uh, cameras can pick him up, maybe doing a little bit of shopping in Harrods and, and, and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And there is the, the magnificent return. I mean, he's, he's yeah. let you know that he wants to come back. Uh, was it a nailed on certainty that he would come back? Were you aware that the uh, waters had been calm between he and uh, Roman Abramovich? I think I think you knew that they, they certainly kissed and made up. I mean, after Roman left, when he left the first time, um, and it was quite uh, bitter, and he was really hurt. I think um, Abramovich sent him a very rare Ferrari as a thank you gift after the event. Um, I can't remember. I'm not very good on cars, but it was some sort of special rare Ferrari that he sent to him to say thank you. So I think they after the. Um, the working relationship had gone. I think there remained a sort of human relationship where when the agro was out of it, when they weren't at loggerheads anymore, they maintained a really good relationship and carried on texting and calling each other. And, and it was fine. So you knew that, uh, that it was OK. I still, I still, I know, I know Josie was desperate to come back, absolutely desperate to come back. The other job he desperately wanted was the Manchester United job. So I think he was trying to, you know, um, put, push, for, push for both. Um, and I wasn't sure, I, I actually tried to talk him out of it. I, I said, my adage in life is you never go back. And it's like you're going back with your ex-girlfriend. You, you, you've forgotten all the things that used to drive you mad uh, and why you split up in the first place. Two years, three years on, you can only see, oh, she's gorgeous, she's beautiful. And we had all, we, didn't we have this great holiday on? Didn't we do this? And you remember all the good times. And I'm saying never go back because it can never be the same again. And... Uh, he said, "No, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't believe in that at all. I'll go back and I'll, I'll do it again with Chelsea. I'll do it again." I said, "But what if you fail? You'll destroy your legacy." And of course, you, you can't say that to Jody because he doesn't think he's going to fail. He thinks he's going to succeed again and become the greatest manager in in the history of Chelsea Football Club, which he still is because he's won the league title uh, three times and uh, no other manager has has done that. So, not a, no doubts whatsoever in Jose's mind about coming back. But I, I must admit, I was worried because I didn't want him to come back and be a flop. Um, he had a lot of issues to overcome. Though. Torres, he wanted out. Uh, he'd spoken to Terry and Lampard about keeping them on side because 
they were still key for him. He wasn't convinced, was he, about Eden Hazard, uh, and he did, contrary to a lot of people's opinion, like Lukaku, and he did like De Bruyne, didn't want him to go, uh, but he wanted he wanted Luka Modric to need to come, Rafael Varane and Edison Cavani. Yeah, yeah, he did, yeah, yeah. The, um, the thing with Lukaku... He, Jose really liked him. I remember early on when Lukaku was a young kid at Chelsea and it was a pre-season tour and I interviewed Lukaku afterwards and then I went to see Jose and Jose said, he's going to be the next Drogba. He's going to be the next Drogba. He's going to be... And he was absolutely convinced that, that was, that's what was going to happen. And, um, you know, uh, he's since gone on. I think more money's been spent on Romelu Lukaku than any other footballer in history. I think I read that in the paper the other day, which is quite remarkable. But, you know, Josie, Josie did rate him and, and did want to pursue him. And he, and he did like Kevin De Bruyne on the same tour. But on that tour, um, we're away in Thailand and, and Kevin De Bruyne scored an unbelievable goal that got even us uh, cynics in the, in the press box on our feet cheering and, and, and looking at each other going, what a goal that was. But in the process, he got himself injured. So then suddenly he's out of pre-season training. And Jose, as I said earlier, is like, uh, his intensity is I- incredible. And he demands the same of his players. When, when it's downtime uh, on a tour or in a hotel bef- before a game and things like that, he can have a laugh and a joke and be completely relaxed. He, he, he's quite a, a prankster. Um, but on the training pitch, he expects and, in fact, demands the same intensity in training that you would in a, in a top match away at Anfield or away at Barcelona or something like that. He wants tr- players to train with that intensity, so it's second nature. It's part of the, the Jose way. And, of course, there's some players who can do that and other players who mess around in training or, or, or no, I've got a bit of a tweak today, I don't want to train today. And, um, and as he did with Delhi Ali when he went on to Tottenham, he'll suss that sort of player out and go, no, he's not for me. He's not for me. He doesn't put it in in training. Yeah, he's a great player, but he just doesn't do it in training and I need him to do it in training. And that was, he felt that about Kevin De Bruyne. Um, He felt that about um, Eden Hazard at times and he also, uh, Deli Alley later. Uh, If they didn't train, these players who don't train and don't give it all and don't take it seriously and mess about in training, he won't have it. Uh, How close did they come to getting Wayne Rooney? I did love the comment, by the way, about your son and you having dinner and him coming over and sitting on this side of the chair saying, hey, what do you think of us trying to sign the fat boy? It was brilliant because I, my son Josh, who was probably about 13 at the time, had got his back to Jose and we were sitting having dinner and Jose came up with his finger to his mouth going, shh, I'm going to surprise him. And the, the first thing he did was say, budge up, buddy, and squeezed into the armchair alongside Josh. You know, he was a massive Chelsea fan, 13-year-olds, and he's sitting with the Chelsea manager. He's like, so the first bit of the show, and the first thing he said was not to me, it was to Josh. He said, what do you think of us trying to sign the fat boy? And of course, Josh, it's gone completely over his head. He doesn't know what he's, he's on about. So I lean across and say, Josh, he means Rooney. What about what do you think about us trying to sign Rooney? And of course, Josh, oh, yeah, brilliant. Wouldn't he be amazing? Chelsea, yeah, fantastic. Number nine at Chelsea, Wayne Rooney. Yes, please, boss, get it, you know, sort it, sort it, you know. Um, but yeah, that was Jose. And he, he you know, that, that's how he used, to talk, he used to call Rafa Benitez the fat Spanish waiter and all stuff like that. So he had nicknames for everybody. Kevin De Bruyne was um, <laughs> Prince Harry. They used to call him Prince Harry because uh, Jose was convinced he was um, his secret twin because he thought they looked uh, similar. 
so he, he got a uh, he got a quirky nickname for 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 everybody. But um, was yeah. he driven by Champions League success at that time? Because we started to see again this whole thing about the world's conspiring against me. Uh, the playing of Liverpool on the, the Sunday before meeting Atletico. And then that bizarre situation with the with the loan, where Courtois was on loan at Atletico, in the loan agreement, it said that you can't play him against us, and if you well, if you want to, you've got to pay four million. And then yeah. UEFA come in and overrule it. I mean, a quite bizarre yeah. decision. Well, there's always been a sort of uh, either a clause in the contract that you can't play against your your, your parent club, um, or a gentleman's agreement that you know we're, we're going to loan you this player, but please don't, you know, don't, we don't expect you to play him against us as part of the deal. Um, and uh, there we are, Thibaut Courtois, who was um, developing into one of the best goalkeepers in the world, was going to be playing against his owner club and trying to stop them getting into the Champions League final. It was a very bizarre uh, position. And I can understand Chelsea saying, he's our player, there's no way he can play in this game. And you can understand Atletico saying, we're paying his wages. He's on loan. We've paid the loan fee. He's going to play, and of course, UEFA. <laughs> and I, whether it stems back to to Jose's early days, and he's always been critical of the FA and of the suits at UEFA and for for the the various things that they did, and Chelsea's relationship as a result with UEFA was was never very good at all. Uh, whenever they could come down on Chelsea like a ton of bricks, they did. Uh, and this was one of those occasions where I, I think they gleefully intervened and said, uh, keep your noses out, Chelsea. He's Atletico's player and he's going to play. So, uh, yeah. But J Jose was desperate. He'd won the league with Chelsea, back-to-back -back titles, the first titles for 50 years. Uh, he, he'd established them. The Champions League was, thing was the one thing. He'd won the FA Cup, the League Cup. He... The one thing missing was the Champions League, and he was so desperate to get it. And of course, there was the phantom goal that never was to Anfield, Garcia, uh, and there was all the um, last. Uh, there was um, so many near misses for Chelsea uh, in the the Champions League semis with Jose or the quarterfinals. It was it was uncanny. It was just one of those things he he couldn't quite crack. And then you know, Sod's Law, the year after he leaves, they they go and win it. Um, Typical. Now, once again, we're beginning to see more headlines on the relationship or the lack of it, in particular with Arsene Wenger. It was becoming more poisonous, I think, by the day with both trading insults in the media. He's a specialist in failure, a voyeur. Uh, Wenger replying with uh, criticism of the spending by Chelsea, saying that he's disrespectful, he's disconnected. And then we have the pinnacle, I think, uh, which is the pushing and the shoving of both of them on the touchline with Chelsea met Arsenal at uh, Stamford Bridge. And we're left with that quote at the end of it. I'll see you in the street one day. Yeah. I mean, I, I was astonished when he, because this was the day after, and I said, what did Wenger say to you? What happened? Because I was trying to get the story behind what had sparked. I think it was something that Gary Cale had done. He'd gone in on a heavy on a tackle, and Wenger had come running down the touchline demanding a red card and all that sort of thing. Joe said, get back in your box. And uh, it, it, he, Wenger didn't go back in his box. He went into the Chelsea box and started having to shove him back with Jose. And of course, Jose's what, about five foot eight, and Wenger's about six foot two, so it was a bit odd. Um, 
But yeah, so I was trying to find the story behind it, who said what and what he did and how it was resolved afterwards. And he just volunteered the fact that he said, oh, you know, one day I'll, I'll find him outside of the ground and I'll break his face, I'll, you know, and I'm there going. So, and I'm going, this is on his official Chelsea email to me on my official, I think I might have been on the, on the Sun by then. Sun email, and I'm, we had, we used to communicate on personal emails as well, but this was a work question. Uh, and it, clearly I was asking, we kind of started, I said, oh, Josie, you don't want to say that, you don't want that in the paper, that will look great. At the minute, Arsene Wenger looks like the one who's lost control and come into your area and push you. If you come out and say this, you're going to be on the back foot, you're going to be saying, no, I don't, I don't, I don't. And in the end, after an exchange of emails, I, I talked him out of it and, and just um, said, it's not the time and the place, just leave it and let uh, Wenger uh, take the flack for all this. Benitez's uh, wife's yeah, quote was, he's, he's was, was really fabulous. Uh, we are coming into one of Jose's clubs <laughs> to tidy up for one of his messes again, uh, to which the response was, maybe if she takes care of her husband's <laughs> diet, she has less time to talk about me. <laughs> it's, it's classic Jose. He, he's, he's, if you go at him, he'll come back. Uh, and he'll come back in spades. You know, he's not going to uh, sort of just take it on the chin he'll, he'll come back with a barb of his own and it's, it's normally a, a, a quite a funny one um, but he, he didn't like Benitez and I think it may have stemmed back to those um, Champions League clashes with Liverpool uh, where Rafa had come out on top so there was that, that sort of animosity would never go away there was it, it irked. and I think with Wenger and Fergie was one of Jose's big um, big mates and they got on famously uh, and and Fergie didn't like Wenger either, uh, so that that sort of empowered Jose even more because uh, he just thought, well, I'm not the only one who can't stand the the professor, the one who thinks he knows it all, and, da, 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 and uh, yeah, so it was good knockabout stuff, and it was true, he was serious. It wasn't, you know, um, it wasn't to try and steal a march football wise. This was a personal animosity that he was quite. Um, prepared to put out there, um, not to win a match, not to to get a draw, or any, for any footballing reason, it was a personal animosity that he did not like Benitez. When Benitez got the Chelsea job, Jose was oh, couldn't couldn't believe it. Um, uh, and and the same with Wenger. He, he just um, and if you watch, there's a Paddy Power advert on the TV. And it's uh, about Jose's doing a bit of gardening, and there's a, there's a, there's a tree with three <laughs> fingers up for the the, the, the the three titles at Chelsea. There, there's a photograph of his best achievement at Man United was finishing second. And then, if you walk, if you slow it down, look at the the names on the book in the bookcase that he walks past. One's called the Voyeur which he called Joe, uh, Arsene Wenger once. One's called Specialist in Failure. One is called, you have a look, it's hilarious. And, and I'm, I'm convinced that um, that was Jose's idea. Paddy Power might have uh, said a few things, oh, we can do an advert like this, we can have a bit of fun. And it, and, but look at the books, and there's about five or six books, and they've all got titles having a dig, and three of them are about Wenger. It's just unbelievable to put it in. An, you're doing a TV advert. You're being paid for it, and you you agree or you come up with the idea 
to take the mickey out of Arsene Wenger long after he's retired and <laughs> long after you've stopped sparring with him uh, football-wise to have that just look at that book base every time I watch that advert I look at it and I just shake my head I'm gonna, I've never that, noticed that it and I know the advert you're talking about and I will I will notice that next time around next time I see it it's unbelievable what sums up the man uh, I think more than anything else maybe in in the book here is this multi multi-millionaire who's you know about the most famous man in football uh, at the time and there's the two of you sat there drinking uh crystal champagne one night when you find out that you're on the chopping block you're maybe about to be yep. fired told you're a dinosaur it's not about exclusives you need to be doing more to fill up the space on the internet um you know bingo the yep. lottery those are the most important things he sends yep. uh, he sends an yep. email uh, which you never showed at the disciplinary what why was that i mean i i, I can't imagine why you wouldn't have shown that at such a key moment well, we, we it was the the crystal incident. We it was the end of the season. We just won the, the the league. We were sitting there having crystal champagne, and we were both thinking we we're at the top of our game. I, you know, I, he's manager of Chelsea. He's just won the league. I, he's my best confidant. He's given me scoop after scoop after scoop. Long may this continue. And then a few months later. We're both facing the chop, as you say. Uh, and he sent me—he he sent me this lovely email. He said, um, "I can't believe they're trying to get rid of you. You're the only journalist in England that I speak to." I said, and, and he then he said, "Give this to them." And I, and I fully intended to, to print it off and take it to my hearing and say, "This is." The manager of the champions of England. This is the guy behind all the. And I'd got all. I'd printed off all my scoop stories and all that. This is the man behind the the bulk of these stories. Are you seriously trying to get rid of me at a time when I have this relationship with this man and that we've got this unbelievable run of stories uh, that we've just uh, had through the year? And then there was just something in me, and I said, "Why am I going to put that from Jose? That's quite. It, it was lovely, and I felt great about it, and I, I fully intended. But then when I, I just had second thoughts, and I went, no, 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 I'm not going to, I'm not going to stoop to that. I think deep down, I decided, you know what? I've had enough. I'll. Um, it's not the newspaper it was anymore. It used to be run by journalists with journalistic principles and journalistic uh, integrity and uh, insight, and now it's being run by accountants. I'll give you an example. There was a in the old days when it was run by journalists who knew the value of a story, um, you'd go, I've got a tip off about a story. I'm going to need to go and speak to this guy in Brazil. Uh, he's got all the details. Da, da, da. And, and, and my, my long-time sports editor for 22 years, he would have definitely said, get on a plane, get out there, get that story, come back when you've got it. Not No shadow about it, because the story... The story would have merited it. He, when I did that, when the accountants were running it, I said, this guy, you know, I've got this guy, I've got this contact in Brazil, I need to fly out there, get all the details, come back with all the paperwork and all that sort of thing to prove the story, and it's going to be a great scoop. They went, can't we get somebody in Brazil to go and get that story? Isn't there a freelance we can ring up to go and get this? I'm going, this is a massive story. Are we going to trust it to a freelance in Brazil? Um, I've got the relationship with the agent. I've got the the, the contact, uh, the the go-between guy. Surely, for the sake of 
uh, a flight to Brazil and back and a few nights in the hotel, it makes sense for me to go and do it and to come back with a story and keep it secure and exclusive rather than give it to a fr the, the opportunity to a freelance to go and do it and, and possibly mess it up or it suddenly leaks appear because he, he talks to somebody else. Uh, and that's when you start, when that starts happening uh, on, a, on a regular basis. I'll give you an example. Every uh, year you've got your best contacts and one of them was clearly Jose. I bought some fragrant candles from Harrods in a display box for Jose's wife for Christmas. Now, one of my previous boss, that, that would have been encouraged. They would have said, crack on, that's brilliant. You know, for the sake of 150 quid, 200 quid, that's a lovely little present for Jose's wife. That's a really clever thing to do. Uh, he'll always know, you know, it makes a fantastic impression, not just on Josie, but on his missus. Yeah, sorry, for the sake of 200 quid. Um, suddenly when the accountants are running the, the newspaper, you get, um, no, we're not paying that. What are we paying that for? If you want to buy um, Jose Marine's wife a gift, you buy it yourself out of your own money, which I did. Uh, so I just thought, from a personal point of view, it was uh, important you know, to do that. I thought it was a good way of cultivating uh, a brilliant contact and, and keeping them on side. Um, but the paper, no. And this is a paper that spends thousands of pounds on kiss and tell stories for the front page or anything, but they wouldn't spend 150, 200 pounds to give one of my best contacts and one of the paper's best contacts so a, a little gift for, for Christmas. And then things, little things like that, it might sound insignificant now, but when that's happening in a number of different areas all at the same time, you're just going, oh, this place is gone. Um, and I was on a good contract and I, I was going to get a good payoff. So I went, oh, that's it. I'll, I'll, I can't be bothered to fight it. So uh, I just accepted my fate and... Um, Filled my wheelbarrow with money and walked off. Shame down the in the end, though, really. Uh, before before we conclude, just a quick word about his time at um, Manchester United. Uh, Paul Pogba comes up uh, quite often. I remember you uh, talking to him about Pogba when he was at Chelsea. Uh, you, you asked him the question, so when's he coming to Chelsea? And his reply was, never. Uh, that relationship never really yeah. got off the ground. There was always a degree of mistrust, would it be fair to say? Yeah, I think... It, again, it's the, it's the Paul Pogba established superstar, Jose Marie, and the players have got the power, haven't they? Um, it's easier to sack a manager than 12 players. So uh, he goes in there and he actually made Pogba vice captain, but uh, to try and give him a bit of responsibility, to try and get him on board and try and get him to, to, to produce the performances that he, he was doing for France, for Manchester United, because he was very inconsistent. He, like a, the weekend, he had a fantastic game uh, and uh, was, the, was the, the, the key to United's victory. I think he had three or four assists. So um, there's no doubt that he's a wonderfully technical, marvellous midfielder, but not on a consistent basis, which is what Jose demands. And of course, there was... A, there was um, there was friction because Pogba thinks he's the bee's knees and so does Jose. So there's always going to be a, a loser in that. And Jose, was, he said, uh, there was a story that he told uh, at a coach's conference about a certain player <laughs> at Manchester United. The Rolls Royce. The king. He didn't name anybody. <laughs> yeah, and he turned up, 
he wanted he brought a new Rolls Royce and he wanted to drive out out of the away match. I think it was at Burnley in a Rolls Royce. Well, Burnley's not the, the place to be driving around in a, in a Rolls Royce. It, 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 so Jose said, "Listen, you know, um, just go on the team coach. What's the problem?" No, 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 no. He said, "Well, at least." Let us get 10 minutes down the road and have your chauffeur waiting there and getting your Rolls Royce down there. Don't be breaking off from the team as we leave. We, we arrive as a team, we leave as a team. Don't be going off on your own or whatever. Uh, and of course, um, when he came out, all the team were on the coach apart from this one particular player who's sitting there in his Rolls Royce and, 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 and going off. And of course, if you're the manager, you go, well, what chance have I got with this player? Whatever I, I ask and whatever I suggest, he just ignores it and does his own thing anyway. And uh, um, yeah, so that that was a difficult relationship. And um, I think Pogba fueled it as well with some of his social media, um, being a bit cute with certain uh, posts that he put out there, and, and particularly after the event when Josie had gone. But, you know, Jose will look back and say, well, I won, I won three trophies in... Uh, a short space of time at Man United. How many has Ole Gunnar Solskjaer won in twice the period? And how much has Ole Gunnar Solskjaer spent more than I did, by the way? Uh, yeah. Lastly, yeah. Tottenham. So, um, uh, nope. The third time <laughs> that uh, Levy finally got his yeah. man, because he spoke to him in 2007, again in 2011, and he finally gets him. Was this always doomed to failure? Well, I, I think Jose always fancied Tottenham to for because. He could see what 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 he he loved was going to clubs like Chelsea, like Inter Milan, who um, were sort of nearly clubs who, who maybe have done something in the past, but were sleeping giants is a is a is a phrase that people use all the time, isn't it? He loved that sort of thing. I'm going to go in and I'm going to resurrect that club and I'm going to be the hero for turning that club around. And of course, that was his his sort of forte in a, in a lot of respects. So he saw Tottenham and he's going. Great ground. They've got good players. Um, what well, they should be doing better. They should be doing better. And yes, Daniel Levy tried to to sign him on two previous occasions at least. And um, so when the chance came, Jose went, "Yeah, I, I quite fancy that. I'm going to be the man who wins Tottenham the league. I'm going to be the man who takes it takes it on and um, and finally wins them something significant and and sustains success." Um, but it just didn't work. It did at the start. Uh, I mean, if you consider the number of games well, that he had to play in that ludicrous Europa League campaign where they were they were playing like nine games in in 12 days in, in September. And, you know, he's done Manchester City, they're top of the table. There was always going to be Spurs fans that were going to be moaning, by the way, uh, because they do. He he had managed to get games out of Andombele, he brought in um, Hoybier, yeah. which was a fantastic buy. Tanganga, nobody had ever heard of yeah. before, never mind playing Gave like he was. Debut. And, yeah. all right, he did have bail, but that was a Levy buy. And at, at Christmas, it looked yeah. it looked as good as it had done for a long time. Well, the, the bail thing's a classic, isn't it? it, it, go, it, that's, it, it that would be a throwback to um, Shevchenko. Uh, a vanity project from the owner or something. Oh, we're going to bring Bale back or we're going to bring Shevchenko to Chelsea and all that sort of... And Jose must have rolled his eyes because, uh, oh, is that what we really need? And what I found interesting was at the death was that the comments from Harry Kane and Song, and both of them 
didn't just say, oh, thanks, boss, you know, good luck in the future, a one-liner. Both of them made fairly detailed uh, statements um, saying how much they enjoyed working with Jose, how it improved their game, and, and they're wishing him luck in the, in, in the future. And it wasn't just the, the throwaway one-liner. It, it was much more than that. Uh, and I know Jose uh, was a massive fan of Harry Kane, and, and I think... It, it, it's not beyond the. Uh, I've seen it rumoured and spoken about in the papers that um, Jose had encouraged Harry Kane to get away from Tottenham and, and really have a fulfilling career somewhere else where he actually won trophies and things like that. And I, I'm pretty certain he may well have said the same to Son. So, um, yeah, I think they had a good relationship and um, made him a better player. I, I mean, made him a more, certainly a different well, well, player. But it's the same thing that happened with Abramovich, but in a shorter period of time. It's like the, the big rumour was that uh, it was all about you, you'd got the final coming up, the Europa, with yes, the Europa yes. League final, wasn't it? Um, and um, you got the midweek game with Southampton and Jose wanted to put a, a slightly different team out for the Southampton game uh, and save some of his star players for, for the big final to win a trophy. Uh, and apparently that uh, Levy had a, a different point of view saying that the three points were just as important because finishing in the top four was far more uh, was, was just as important and trying to finish in the top four and of course it, again Jose wouldn't wouldn't um, back down from that conversation and the um, somebody telling him the team to pick he was oh, well, it doesn't it sounds to me like you don't need a manager if you're the telling picking the team then what do you need me for and then Daniel Levy would go, yeah, well, that's a good point. Why do we need you? And and, the, and you can you can see it happening because it's happened say many times before. He wouldn't acquiesce. He wouldn't agree to do something against his his better judgment, his football principles. Um, and so it's inevitable. You're not going to win that one against the chairman, and he probably knew that. So um, he's 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 a bit like I was. All right, if this is the way it's going to be, give me my money, give me my payoff. I'll go and. Um, I'll go and find somebody. And finally, then, I suppose the the only question to end on is, have we seen the best of Jose? Will he rise again? Would he win trophies again? Would he be a success again? Well, it's funny because you you use this word, and it, and, it, and it was used to me in my... When I was leaving at the Sun, they, they, I was a dinosaur. I was an old-school journalist who did it all the old way, and I wasn't sort of into the social media Twitter side of it as much as some of the younger guys were. So I was a dinosaur. And that's being bandied around about Jose. People are saying that the game's moved on uh, and he's a dinosaur, you know, of negative tactics that uh, the game's passed him by. I, I, I think that's a very bold statement to make against a guy who's won 20-odd senior trophies in, in across the world. I think there's... Um, there's more than a bit of life in Jose yet, and uh, I'm pretty sure there's more than a, a trophy or two in Jose yet. So watch this space. It's never dull. It's never boring. It's always dramatic. It's always controversial. Jose will uh, be in the headlines again very soon, I would think. And that was Robert Beasley talking about his book, Jose Mourinho, Up Close and Personal, which is available now from all the uh, usual outlets. Well, that is it for this edition. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Don't forget, though, in the meantime, if you've missed any of the previous 25 or so previous episodes, you can find them all at the website at www.talkingsportsbooks.com. For the moment, though, thanks very much for joining me. Till next time, from me, Tim Cable. Bye-bye for now.